This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us is here. And now, here's your host. And the summer seminar series keeps rolling along. Boy, is it getting hot out there. But to be very honest with you, this is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Matt Caraccio. And as I said, the summer seminar series keeps rolling along as we try to bring you a little closer to the game during this offseason, as we begin to kind of explore this idea of the player problem solver paradigm, this idea that looks to say, what are the problems, the nature of the problems that players are facing on the field? And for the longest time, we talk about offense. But now, now, finally, finally, we get to turn to the other side of the ball. And I cannot tell you how excited I am to bring on somebody that I'm a fan of his work. He is the author of MatchQuarters.com, as well as two recent books, Cautious Aggression and Hybrids. I got to tell you something, specifically with Hybrids, the making of a modern defense, I think Cody Alexander really showed just the depth of knowledge he has as a scholar and passion for the game mr alexander coach cody thank you so much for joining us on the saturday to sunday football podcast yeah no problem thank you and i appreciate the kind words on the books well i mean the first book obviously was cautious aggression defending modern football and i think that's kind of going to be the the real kind of impetus for this discussion because I'm kind of we're we're at your feet. A lot of the listeners that might be listening to this podcast, you know, they are uh, disciples of the offensive side of the ball. But when it comes to the defensive side of the ball, it's just as crazy, chaotic, and as much of a chess match as anything else. And that's why cautious aggression, really defending modern football, was such a great book because I think you unpacked the problems of modern defenses right. just so well. Can you? Can you begin to kind of unpack a little for our listeners? What are the nature of the problems that defenses are facing today on the football field? Yeah, I think the major issue now is that football has been flipped. It used to be such a run oriented. You started with the front and you went to the back and you just kind of you focus solely on the run and the coverage piece was really just kind of uh, this is there. We're just filling gaps just so that we can be safe and, and protecting against, well, they only have two receivers. We've got two guys and, and just kind of maybe leave one guy in the middle of the field to protect it. Or are we a too high shell on a passing down and, and kind of just kind of making these umbrella and blanket. And it was, it was kind of secondary. And I think, what now has shifted in the modern game with the advent of seven on seven uh, quarterbacks are just so much more developed. Now the science of offense is so much more developed than it is now uh, than it was even just 10 years ago is that now defenses have to start from the back and work forward. And so cautious aggression really was kind of like you've talked about a paradigm shift and, and kind of my belief system of now that these are the issues that we're we're seeing and kind of working back to the front not not again not forgetting run fits and the fact that you have to stop the run but how do you protect yourself now with offenses that are stretching you horizontally as well as vertical and using the whole plane of the playing field well I, I think that's a really interesting thing that you just brought up there and I was wondering if we can dive into that a little bit 
more. From your perspective, being on the defensive side of the ball, you talked really eloquently right there about the horizontal and vertical stretches that you have to be aware of in terms of playing the plane. I love that you even said it as a as a general idea, playing the plane that is the field. How does that how did those how does that those spread concepts, those formations? Because formations, at least to my understanding and the way I've always understood it, is it really is an initial starting point to understand what's going to happen post snap. How does that how has those spread formations altered, changed, or impacted what we're trying to do on defense now today in the modern game? Not even so, run or pass. Not even run or pass. Just the formation itself. So just to I come from working under Art Bryles at Baylor, kind of when his offense really took off. So I actually got to see the transition from RG3 Heisman year to what the Baylor offense became kind of in the subsequent years after. And he is an uber spread guy, meaning that his splits and his receivers are so far to the sideline that it stresses the defense to the max and it creates these wide gaps in the field. Uh, so learning how to defend that and then bringing it back in to what are more traditional formations that you see today in the game, that's kind of where my viewpoint is. So I have kind of a, a little bit of a, a different view on how to defend formations, but going to spread formations in general and what you're seeing nowadays with the Y off or the, the, these tight ends that are also kind of fullbacks or glorified tackles that are sitting in kind of the C gap area of, do you treat him as a receiver? Do you treat him as a blocker? And so on top of that, in the lower levels, you add the addition of the quarterback run game. And so now what you have is you have at least three receivers that are covering sideline to sideline. You now have a two back backfield that you now have to account for. They can create now an extra gap on either side because that, that tight end, because he's off the ball can actually move around. So you've, you've created another gap. So you have the horizontal stretch of the physical formation from one side of the field to the other, but then you have the vertical uh, stretch of the field because you now have added, they can go deep at any moment because the air raid, which is really kind of um, a meshing between the Coriel and the West Coast systems uh, over time have now you can get attacked at any width of the field. So you, they can blow the top off of you with a fade route or a post route, but they're also going to tack you down low with this run action. And so the formations really, and I, I use the Y off because I think that's kind of where a lot of people are going with offense now is that you are now getting the full field is used. And, and not only that, but in terms of run action versus passing action. Well, and I, and I think that everything that you just brought up, I'd love to unpack this idea of really attacking space. I mean, because I, I, forgive me if I'm oversimplifying it, because I certainly don't mean to, you know, shortchange anybody in terms of, of their thinking and manipulation of these ideas. But you are talking in some ways about space. How How, I mean, has that been something that, has really evolved over the course of this game and how it's evolved over time. I mean, is it really becoming more and more of a, in other words, there's a lot of complexity in the word space, but is there way more simplicity than we necessarily understood previously? 
Right. So I wrote, I actually wrote in hybrids at the very beginning of the book about how team sports over time have become space sports. And really football is the one that is kind of the last one to really kind of buy into the idea of space. And by last one, I mean, really within the last, really within the last decade of, you know, you look at uh, soccer, for instance, everybody's trying to push outside with the wingers and then have them dive in or have them hit lobs over the top, but you're spacing everybody out and you're working vertical as well as horizontal. If you look at basketball, the everybody's working further and further and further away from the basket. They're creating space. Well, those that space creates lanes that the offense and these offensive guys can now work. So the three-point shot has kind of revolutionized uh, basketball. My son is a big hockey fan and I I was at a, I was at a, a Dallas Star. I live in Dallas. I was at a Dallas Stars game, and I was hearing this guy talk about how when he grew up in Canada, you know, he couldn't play hockey because he was too small. That you had to be big, and you it was kind of this condensed game where everybody's kind of just banging on each other. And how now the modern hockey game has become this free flowing uh, game of space. And so then. Me, I'm a football nerd and I'm like, how can I relate this back to football? And like everything that, you know, as again, going back to working for our brows and working in a really a space offense that work primarily on running to space, you know, you talk about how can you defend these open areas in, in the, in football, but then you also have these open gaps in your line. And it's the, that kind of that seesaw between am I run oriented and my pass oriented? Well, and I think that what you just said there about free flow sports, I mean, I, I look at football more and more now as an invasion game, right? We're invading territory, trying to gain territory and, and how the constraints of the game actually shape a lot of what we do maybe with our decisions and play calling, whether we're trying to go for the first down, whether we're trying to go for the end zone. I mean, obviously those things come into play, but as we gain territory and defending territory, it is, it's, it's very much a space game. And I think you hit on a really salient point there, uh, Cody, is that this idea of how it's how it's forced us to look at different traits and and different types of characteristics that may make up players that we want to choose to bring into this. I mean, right. so, so let me ask you, like from your experiences, because again, they're so vast. I can only imagine how much how much you must have evolved as a defensive guy trying to spread trying to defend something like Art Briles spread because uh, i can only imagine how insane that was when you guys are running drills and you're like well i'm already at a disadvantage because there's too many lanes here to cover but i i want to ask you though how how has this perspective on football as it is changing more to a space game how has it really changed what we're looking for in defenders are the are the traditional you know traits as they stand in their most kind of resolute and glorious fashion he must be 6-1 he must be this right. are those beginning to waver are they starting to crumble a little bit or are we looking for something else well i think you know football is a space sport it's a team sport but it has more constraints on it than than most sports but you're going to all you always have to have you know five offensive linemen you got to have seven people uh on the line you know you can only have a certain amount in the backfield and so how that relates back to the offense i mean the defense is who is on the field uh and so i i will never forget doing recruiting at Baylor and we would look at these linebackers 
And we would say, you know, and this is right at the beginning of the shift kind of towards away from the Uber 10 personnel spread. And and so, and you still get, you know, SEC in 2010 was still running very heavy 21 personnel, traditional kind of a smash mouth offense. That's what, that's what they were doing. Um, and so they haven't got yet to kind of running out of the gun and, and Auburn with their kind of their slot T from the gun and, 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 and really, uh, Ole Miss running basically Y off, uh, modern spread offense of what we see. And so you, you had this, we would be looking at these linebackers and linebackers, I think in particular are the ones that are the most important. A safety is usually going to be a safety. A corner is usually going to be a corner. Uh, you know, do, the do trans- me a favor though. Can you, can you, I, I don't mean to cut you off. No, can, no, you're can, fine. Can, no. Can you, can you unpack a safety is a safety, a corner is a corner, just in case other, other of us may not know out there what, what, okay. what really does encompass a safety is a safety and a corner is a corner in case there are others of us who are always watching the offense. Right. Side. So, so for instance, there was a shift in the early 2000s to the Tampa two. And so you really started seeing these big corners that were six, three, six, four. They kind of lurked in the, the edges of an offense. And so you kind of had this flip of where your safeties were more, uh, they had to be center field type guys that had to be able to cover these large areas. And then you had these corners that were really, they would kind of just beat everybody up. The other part of that was you had, or you were a single high team that had what's called a box safety. And he was really a biscuit away from being a linebacker. And you had a, a center field safety that could be your rangy guy. And then your corners basically played man. And I, and so I probably didn't do it. I probably did a disservice, but in, in terms of the modern game, you still are going to have to have a corner that can play man coverage. Uh, he's going to have to be able to match up on a wide receiver. Uh, and you still are going to have to have both of your safeties are going to have to be able to work near the line of scrimmage to make a tackle, but they also have to be able to cover a receiver. So that's what I mean by a corner, still a corner safety, still a safety. There's still those guys, you know, those, those positions though, they kind of change for what people want size wise. They still have to do relatively the same things that they've always been asked to do. A corner's got to be able to play man, especially if he plays to the boundary. A safety's going to be able to have to cover space, but he's also going to be able to have to every once in a while, especially if he's the boundary safety, have to work near the box. And so that's kind of yeah. what I meant. No, and now as we transition to how that's really impacted, as you were saying before, before I rudely cut you off, was no, the fine. linebackers. The linebackers have been right. sort of these hybrid guys. I mean, not to not to steal the thunder of a title, maybe, but a little bit. They they've had to begin to evolve, right? And so, what I, going back to when we were recruiting linebackers at Baylor, the first question that Phil Bennett, the defensive coordinator that I worked under, would always ask is, if it's a Mike linebacker, can he can he carry the number three receiver? Can he run with a number three? And time and time again, we would come to these guys that would be highly rated because uh, they were big physical guys, but they couldn't play in the Big 12. They couldn't play in space. They they were bo- what we call a box player or, or a plugger. Uh, and I, I still think that you can have guys like that on your defense, but it just limits you on what you can do. Uh, and, and you kind of have to move guys around him. Um, and so I, for me going to the linebacker, we, you now have got the linebacker position is 
constantly evolving where now you have these like hybrid running backs. Are they a running back? Are they a receiver or are they just kind of like a utility player? Kind of like the, oh, you know, the first one I remember is, is Percy Harvin or Tavon Austin when back in college of where you couldn't really tell like what they were. Were they a receiver? Were they, were they a running back? And I think linebackers now have become where are you kind of a, can you be a nickelback, but can you also play in the box? And I think that kind of ability to play in space, primarily to three by one formations has really become and dictated. Can you play linebacker at the higher levels? Well, I, I think it's interesting that you talked about carrying the number three receiver as being something that was critical. I think that's interesting. I think that that shows you how the space and what, you know, we're looking for in terms of players at those positions has greatly changed. Think about 1980s and good old fashioned line them up and punish each other type of football has really dramatically changed. And you said a lot of things that I think I, I would love to tease out, but I'm obviously going to be very respectful of your time. So <laughs> I'm not going to do oh, it. No, all, you're but, fine. but I'm going to ask you when it comes to take me into that film room. And you're sitting there as a recruiter and you're looking at these players and you're thinking about, man, I need guys that can carry number three. I need guys that can work in space. Just take me maybe inside of your brain in terms of some of those situations that you might always be focusing on or things you wanted to see that allowed you to kind of feel more confident about a recommendation for a player. Were there, were there telltale signs? And again, I'm very reluctant to call them traits. I kind of think about them situationally. Were there situations and problems that those players were, that were, that they were solving on the film that you were constantly gravitating towards or looking towards? I'm just curious because that would be something that I wonder about, and I I don't have a great answer for it. So Two by two is relatively easy for the Mike linebacker because he's in the box and he's really just relating to the running back or number three, which is in the backfield. So the worst thing that could happen is that you get a quick push out, out. So they stretch you horizontally with the number three. Well, you have another outside linebacker that's already leveraged the back and in typical zone fashion, or if you're, if you're, playing some sort of like a a banjo coverage where they're working together, you're usually going to shift those guys off. And so what we would look for, and and really the college game and the high school game are played on a hash about 75 plus percent. And I think, I I mean, I don't know the exact stat, but most people would, would say 75% plus the game is played on a hash. So there's obviously one side of the field that has more space than the other side of the field, which is why, at the lower levels, you have, especially in college, you have a field and a boundary side. And, and so, and usually it goes back and forth depending on the scheme, but most, most people have settled back into a field and a boundary side, especially at the corner, especially at the, at the safety positions. Linebacker wise, with the advent of the nickel, sometimes you will have guys that, okay, I always want you to go to the passing strength. I always want you to go to away from the passing strength. Uh, and so teams can play with that. Um, but inside the inside linebacker position, primarily in a four, three, your Mike and your will or a three, four, which is your two interior guys. Uh, how do you then uh, adjust that? So what, what you have seen in, in, and, and kind of at the higher levels, what you've heard referred to as is what's called a money backer. So this is your old school Will, who is more athletic than your Mike, 
but he still plays in the box. But what you've seen is they've kind of flipped them where Mike, Mike still stays in the, in the center. But when they go, when you get trips, that money backer is always going to go maybe to the, if the tight end is over there, he's going to go to the trips. Uh, go ahead. No, I, I think that was beautiful. I mean, I don't, I don't want to keep going with you, but I, I wanted to ask you because it reminds me, it seems like there's a very conscious and consistent effort to think about how players on your team, your personnel, relate to one another. Is that is that a fair statement? Are we thinking of, in terms of the capabilities of the gentleman playing to my right, you know, the linebacker to my right, the linebacker to my left, the safety over the top. Are we, are we getting to the stage where that's becoming almost the evolution of the game a little bit, where we're really consciously thinking about the entirety of the defense as, as a, as a, as a big hole, so to speak. Yeah. So I always talk about uh, modern coverage anymore has become links in a chain and everybody kind of relates to each other, you know, vertically as well as horizontally. People have to, you know, when the linebacker, I talk about pulling the chain with the linebackers. I talk about how the linebackers are the links between the anchor points in the D line and, and the secondary. Um, but what you, I go back to like the eighties version of the dumb jock football player that I, you know, kind of like the program where, you know, I've got one gap and I only know one thing and I'm only doing this job and I only have to watch this guy, you know, that does not exist anymore. I think the only place where you can see that nowadays is kind of those edge rushers where all they have and the only thing they do and it's situationally, they go in and all they do is they edge rush. They just rush the quarterback. And I think that's kind of the only place where you see kind of that the ability to be, I only do one thing. I think any more with modern blitzing, modern coverage and uh, versus a modern offense is that you have to be cerebral. There are not really a lot of dumb football players. I think corner might be the only spot where it's like, I got that guy and I don't, I, and I always have that guy. And I think, so there's, there's only a few positions left in the game where you don't have to necessarily think where you're kind of a factory worker, where you're told what to do, when to do it. And I, and you go back to talking about how people relate because of modern formations and the way that we have now put in movement, quick motions, uh, condensed sets, bunches, stacks, and then you add in push motions, pop motions, jet motions, all these different quick ways of trying to out leverage the defense. Um, I think what you've seen now is that defenders have to understand where you are in the formation and how the people around you are relating to you, because it's no more of just, I have just one thing to do. It's now it's, it's kind of like we've talked about, it's a free flowing game. Now. I think, I mean, I wish I could put that on a poster board and post it in a locker room, because I think that that's probably one of the, still one of the biggest uphill battles. Maybe we're still fighting at this point is this idea that maybe, you know, maybe, you know, players themselves, they don't just fit in a, a box anymore in terms of who they are and what they're capable of. They have to wear many hats on the field and they have to understand what's happening around them. I, I would love to ask you, um, when you're when you're watching your players on film and you're thinking about the play call relative to how they behaved on the field, are there times where 
the players are off script? Are there times where they have to act off script in order to make a play? Maybe they're behaving relative to one another in a correct way, but clearly there was a uh, a difficulty where they had to adapt because you talk about a lot in your book about the understanding of awareness of everybody around you. And it could very easily be that somebody is, is wrong next right. to you and you have to adapt and handle that. Does, is that something that we're looking more consciously at when we're looking at defensive football players now today? Yeah. I, you know, I go back to uh, Don Brown had a quote a couple of years ago about how, you know, players aren't chess pieces and, and here's a tough East coast guy, hard nose. I don't think anybody would question hit <laughs> coach Brown's toughness and love for hard nose football. Uh, but he even kind of being in, in kind of an old school model ha- has the wherewithal of being like, Hey, you know, these guys are, not just chess pieces. I mean, this is, we're going to, I'm going to kind of give you a framework to work in, but they have, you know, I think kids nowadays too, just the access of information has changed a lot of the way we think, you know, uh, growing up, even me, I think I'm kind of on the, the beginning stages. I always wanted to know why. And I just remember coaches always being mad at me because I would ask why. And it wasn't like a demeaning why of like, Man, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. Why are we doing this? Uh, It was more of a, I'm trying to understand this. And I think kids nowadays, if they want to have a little bit of autonomy, you know, they, they have their own personal space on their phone. They have their own personal space usually at home. And so when they get to the football field, they kind of want to have that personal space as well. And I think that the, when we're watching film, it's more or less, why did you, this was the call. What, what were you seeing? Why did you do this? And and to relate it back to somebody not being there and then they adjust it, we call that natural. So they naturally, you know, like a, and you usually see it up in the front where a D lineman crosses another one and the other kind of loops around, even though it wasn't a call, they naturally fit off of each other. And I think, in, especially in quarters coverage, which is kind of what I, I base a lot of my philosophy out of, there's a lot of fit support, meaning that you're literally going to correct the guy in front of you. So if he, goes inside, you're going to work out. If he goes outside, you work in. And so it it gives a lot of that fluid. It it builds off of the fluidity of the game. And so when we sit in film and I'm talking to the players, we talk about, you know, what they saw, why did they turn that way? Why did they turn that way? And kind of going off of, Hey, remember, we don't want to do that because this for in this formation, they like to do that. And kind of going back to our notes of, of what we want or, Hey man, you know, kind of good job on that, you know, way to see that. And I think that, that kind of constant communication, because that's what the kids want nowadays. I mean, I'm a high school teacher as well as a coach. Uh, And so I communicate with kids on a daily basis and, and most of them are not football players. And so the one thing that you take away is they just want to be heard and they just want to feel like they have a, a say in the game. And so for me, when I'm relating to my players, you know, I try and, have a relationship with them on a deeper level other than football, but also that they know that they can make a mistake and we'll come back and we'll fix it and we'll try and do it again. What I love what you said there is about how you empower players to sort of, and I, and I go back to something that coach Dub Maddox had said, and I, and it was something that came up. I don't know if he serendipitously stumbled upon it, but The idea that sometimes people may look at your work as a prescription, a prescription for how it is exactly supposed to be done, when in reality, 
it is a set of guardrails, a set of bumpers, a, a, a framework for players to work through their own solutions to problems within that construct. But it's not a necessarily a prescription for movement on every single thing because those things are going to adapt and change. And it just sounds interesting that you celebrate that in the film room when a player does read off another player correctly and end up correcting somebody else. Is that fair or, or am I going out to yeah, esoteric? There's a fine line between trying to do more than what you're supposed to do and then correcting what you what you see in, in front of you. Um, and I think football, especially de- on the defensive side, has been so rigid for so long that you kind of have uh, – there's, there's a group of coaches that are really more or less, well – I learned this one thing and it worked for me. And then I don't want to everything else that I see doesn't work. Um, I think a lot of times too, because of the success of Nick Saban and, and, and really, really just Nick Saban, um, you see a lot of guys that learn that system and it's like, well, that's the only prescription for everything, even though most of them would also argue that it's way too complex to teach uh, pr- mostly your coaching staff and then trickle down to the coaches because they have an answer. You know, there's, there's so many different checks. Um, but I, you know, you get into arguments with guys that are single high guys versus guys that are two high guys. And, and they're like, well, you can't ever do this and you can't ever do that. And I think that we have gotten to the point in football where there is a shift towards knowledge, which has not necessarily always been there. I think offense has always been, and I think it's just the personality of offense. It's an experimentation and just in general anyway, on offenses, um, you kind of look at these and, you know, I go back to hybrids and when I was writing about the air raid and the the evolution of it, and and a lot of it goes back to guys like Brett Favre just saying, I don't want to throw the intermediate route. The post routes open all the time. I've got this big cannon. Can I not just use it? And that experimentation of the deep shot and, and, Oh, now people are figuring out that, Hey, these shots, these are kind of like three point shot, three point plays in basketball that if you can do them efficiently, that they actually kind of are more efficient than, you know, the, you know, three yards in a cloud of dust and that, you know, why try and put a square peg in a round hole. And I think defense is slowly starting to catch up. And the reason why defense is always behind is one, we're reactionary. So we're naturally going to be behind the offense. But I think two defense takes so many mental reps that over time, most defensive coaches tend to be older, more established, and so it's, it's, uh, you know, it's just going to be a little slower to change. I think if you look at the offensive game, it's a lot of, I mean, look at the NFL, it's a bunch of young guys who are Everybody's talking about, you just don't talk about these young, there's not a lot of young defensive coordinators, primarily at the, at the higher levels, there are a lot of older guys. And so I think with defense, you're starting to see, especially with the use of social media, the use of uh, just the coaching fraternity and just in general, of guys being willing to to learn other things, and I always say this to young, young coaches: is learn one thing and then try and prove it wrong. You know, and because that's how that's how you grow. Well, and and I like and I like the approach that you took in that line of discussion. You're talking more about principles 
and searching for principles that may fit your task that you're trying to establish or deal with. Instead of just trying to say, you know, here's the the exact prescription for behavior. And it seems like although principles maybe are more difficult to conceptualize at time, that's where you're talking about that search for knowledge, just constantly experimenting. The rewards could be that much greater. And I and I attest a lot of what I'm saying here to some of the work that you did in your books. I think that's... Percent. No, I really do. I, I, I think that, listen, to, to say there's one answer, of course, you, you just admit there is no one answer, but no. it's the exploration of the principles that we view, the lens with which we view these problems through that maybe offer the most potential f- insight or most potential utility moving forward. What questions are we asking? What ideas are we looking to... What are the problems we're trying to solve and maybe if we can explain the quality of the problems better, it'll inform us that much more about what we should be doing with all these 11 guys on the field instead of, instead of just trying to go the other way around, which is let me take something that, had, that works and let me try to keep tweaking it with if-then statements. Well, if you're right. if-then state, if you're if-thening up the yin-yang, these <laughs> high school kids can't. They could be, right. they got maybe they got two things they can remember. I mean, not because they're dumb, it's because because it's a challenge. There's chaos. Yeah. There's it's pressure. You give them more than two things, it's not happening. And like well, you know, mm. I, I, again, forgive me. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, you're fine. I I just I, football is such a gray sport. It's not black and white. And I think they're you know the biggest the biggest schism in in, in defense is am I a single high? Am I am I too high? And then there's constantly arguments of well you can't do that at a too high or well if you do single high you can't do this. But we all even in all of our philosophies we're all trying to solve the same issues. It's just what kind of what one what kind of kids do we have? And then two you know what is your over overall philosophy what are you trying to do and then what are you seeing and i so i think that we're you know that's what i feel like in the past five years that i've seen and i'm still a young coach i mean i've still only coached you know this will be my 10th year coaching football and so i'm still in a decade of coaching but in the last five years i've really seen more of an acceptance of, oh, I get what you're saying, but I, you know, or I don't necessarily agree with you or here, I like your idea. This is how I would tweak it to fit my personnel instead of just being like, nah, that doesn't work. And I, and I think when you play football in a black and white, you're going to get into a point where you need to be black or you need to be white, but you can't because you've chosen the opposite. No. And I, and and I like what you just said there about also matching the scheme to the players, because so often that's overlooked, I feel. Sometimes we want to win up we win on the chalkboard, but we may not be winning on the field. And there could right. be a mismatch there. Right. And I and I think, you know, you defend play you know, you defend with your with the players that you have. Uh and I think that you have to be willing to adjust, especially at the high school level. I don't know how people maybe if you're at a major uh school that has uh you know over uh, several thousand kids and you just kind of always have the same type of kid all the time i I think that maybe you can be like this is all we do but i think if you look at top programs they're always constantly evolving uh and kind of what you see is like if you if you've ever seen a top program and they kind of go stagnant for a while it's like well what why what happened to them and you probably go into the you know if you could be a fly on the wall you probably go in and well there you got a bunch of guys that are saying well this is the way we've always done it and i always try and remind myself always about survival bias of what may work for you where you are may not work exactly for me uh because maybe you had success doing it um 
but maybe you just had better talent than everybody else. And so maybe right. you were doing something completely crazy. And I think what you see this is when guys leave certain systems and they go somewhere else and it just doesn't work out. Uh, it's not an indictment necessarily on that coach, but it could just be an indictment on, Hey, not everything works everywhere you go. And I think the right. best coaches are coaches that basically steal from other coaches is that you're like, Oh, Hey, I like that idea. And I want to use that in mind. You know, I, I think the most refreshing thing I've heard in the past couple of years was I heard Kirby smart talk, Texas high school coaches association is one of the greatest associations, sports associations in the country. And they do every year an annual coaching school where all the coaches in the entire state come to one area. And this is, this is from cross country all the way to track and everybody in between. So you have football, basketball, baseball, everybody's there. Um, and Kirby smart talked about how they, he could see the writing on the wall at Alabama that what they were doing just wasn't working. And so him and, and Saban were looking for ways to get better. And one of them is they got beat by Hermit, uh, Her, uh, Herman from uh, Texas, at, in the, in a bowl game and at when he was at Ohio state, Tom Herman. And so. They went and met Tom Herman. Well, while they were meeting Tom Herman, he was like, Hey man, you got to meet this guy, Todd Orlando. Well, if you know Todd Orlando, he's the defensive coordinator of Texas. Well, he learned the Aranda scheme, which is kind of a part of the Ron Roberts uh, scheme who Ron Roberts is uh, kind of a legend down in Louisiana. And so he, even to this day, they have things that they stole from Todd Orlando and Todd Orlando has things that he stole from, I say stole, but they, they borrowed from each other. And I think it was refreshing to hear a major coach coming from a scheme such as Nick Saban scheme, which is kind of, you know, the be all end all of, of, of football schemes, especially at the lower levels and him just saying, no, nah, we had major issues. We had to make adjustments. And I think, I think for for me, hearing a guy like that was really refreshing. And I'm a fan. I'm a Kirby Smart fan because if anybody that can come from that system and be like, hey, we needed to get better and we needed to find ways to explore of ch maybe changing certain things that we've done over time, uh, not a complete overhaul, but tweaking some things. I, to me, that is that gave me motivation to, hey, I need to, you know, I need to also be on the path to find the truth as well. Well, and I think what's so great about what you just said there, and I, and I think, listen, I, again, being so generous with your time, I want to give you an opportunity as we begin to kind of close out the show and say, you probably just said it there. What would you really want coaches, uh, even fans or just people that are very passionate or scholars about the game to take away as they move forward into this season? Are there any enduring thoughts or takeaways that you might suggest other than reading your books, which I can recommend <laughs> I, for everybody. I appreciate that, it. Yeah, no, other than reading your books, uh, which I, I will personally take that on the shoulder and say that you absolutely should. And your website is outstanding, by the way. Thank you. So all the content, ridiculous. What What is it that we need to be doing more of in the football community as we begin to explore some of these I don't want to say on some level they're new horizons, but on some level maybe these are the horizons that are becoming more clear to us as we begin to search for answers. We realize maybe that search is just to maybe start back and look at the questions and things that we're trying to do. So what what type of enduring understandings would you want to leave with uh, kind of your brethren out there as we go into this upcoming season? 
I think the the number one thing is to understand survival bias and, and to understand that uh, just because you survived a game or you did something doesn't mean, you know, I think kids, kids, especially if you win, everything's good. If you lose, everything's bad. And I think for us, it's going back and saying, okay, yes, we won, but we had major issues in this. How can we find it better? And I think also being more teachers and not necessarily coaches. I think football in itself is very dogmatic and has been for a long time, but we're kind of one of the the last team sports that is really still very much coach driven. And I think a lot of times it comes down to, if I say it, it must be, this is the be all end all going back to the whole conversation about black and white. And I just feel like you need to understand the why behind what you're doing. You don't necessarily have to, uh, pump your your kids full of information because let's be honest they're they're not going to remember it all but kind of break it down to a simple way of where they understand we do this because of this uh, and, and kind of breaking it down and allowing them to be part of the process having relationships with not only the kids but the people that you're working with um, and does not this, making go can ahead. Can I ask you a question? Does this does this extend to the field as well within the practices as well? Do we sometimes maybe get a little too rigid? Should we be allowing for more exploration? Yeah, I think that the you know we're kind of still the only sport that doesn't play small side games. I, I know seven on seven is technically a small side game. Uh, you know, you talk to people that run quarters coverage, um, like I do. You know, we're playing, we're doing half line and things like that. I mean, and I just think finding more ways to get people moving and and reacting off of each other creates that fluidity that that you see in defenses uh finding finding drills i know you know coach smart has talked about georgia's talked about millennial oklahoma working all the different screens but doing it in space so these players have to fit off of each other and overlap each other and, and still attack these guys but it looks like you're running some sort of a passing passing game and i think i think to me try and find the truth in everything uh, and just be, you know, we, we stress to our kids to be, you know, elite and to be constant learners. And I think there's, there's a, we shortchange them when we're not that, when we don't emulate that. Um, I think, I mean, I think, for instance, my kids understand that I'm constantly, uh, almost to an obsessive amount, uh, uh, trying to find ways to help them on the football field. Um, and two, I think as a, as I get older, uh, just understanding that I am not the reason why these players are successful. These players are successful because they were good. Um, you know, I didn't create, I don't create any of my players. My players come to me basically there. I, I just kind of am a facilitator and I kind of keep them within the, within the constraints of point them in a direction, but I'm not creating anybody. And I think in the coaching, especially at the football, world we get kind of hung up on well what about me and the ego of the coach and i think as i get older that that's kind of something that i'm trying to adjust in my thinking of just i just want to learn and i just want to know the truth and if it can help my kids be better well then that helps me as well he is the author for cautious aggression defending modern football and the most recently released book hybrids the making of the modern defense this was absolutely incredible coach I, 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 where can we find your work? Obviously, there's the the books and there is the website. But I, if we want to reach out, how can we begin to learn more about this? If we, if you wanted to point us in a direction, obviously, I know your books for sure are a great place to start. 
Um, How can we find you, communicate, interact? What can we do? Yeah, obviously, you can communicate with me. You can find almost uh, links to the book, all my articles at matchquarters.com. If if you're on Twitter, uh, my Twitter handle is at the underscore coach underscore a uh i leave my dm open so if you do have questions i try and get back to you in a timely fashion uh i I do have a youtube channel with a i have about oh about 20 to 25 different clinics and things like that on there uh which is just youtube match quarters uh so you can interact with me through through those Again, Cody Alexander is one of those people that I, I, again, after reading his work, listening to what he has to say, I don't know how you can't help but be a fan for what he's doing on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, thank you so much for being a guest on the Saturday Sunday Football Podcast. No, it was awesome. I really appreciate it. And to all of our listeners out there, on behalf of Cody and myself, Thank you so much for joining us. I know your time is the most precious thing and for investing that with us. We hope that we brought you a little closer to the game and you took things away that maybe will help you enjoy your Saturdays, Fridays, and Sundays all better. So on behalf of myself, Cody, and everybody else at the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast, thank you for joining us and please join us next time as we take you from Saturday to Sunday.